0: Hello church, if you would open up first Kings uh nineteen, first Kings chapter nineteen. Let's start in verse one. I'll just read through verse eight. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than any of my fathers. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his hand a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went, and the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Father, this is just one of many, one of many of Your people who have struggled with depression, with a deep despair, with even suicidal thoughts. And Lord, we're not naive to think that there aren't quite a few in this room who know what... Elijah felt, know those thoughts, uh, so dark, so despairing, so hopeless, uh, that we might lose the will to live. And so Lord, uh, we pray that Your Word right now would minister to any of those who are depressed, any of those who have been depressed or who will be in the future. Equip us for this dark season of the soul, and Lord, we pray that we would hear Your words and Your grace in and through uh, this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue uh, this series on common problems, uh, seeing that many of these 3,000-year-old uh, problems uh, that Old Testament believers struggled with are no different than things we deal with today. We've talked about a lot of these um, And today we're going to come to Elijah and look at this problem of depression, despair, and suicidal thoughts. And this series, I mean, I I could remind us a few things we've talked about. We talked about addictions, uh, OCD, narcissism, fear, anxiety, bitterness, uh, many, many uh, what we would call emotional uh, problems and so I think it's worth reminding us maybe one or two things on the front end of this uh, as, before we jump into to depression. Um, I can't give from the pulpit, and I, and I won't give because it, it, it's not helpful, uh, every exception, nuance, or qualification to all of the complexities of human sin, all the variables of your own particular problems. Um, I can't do that. I don't even try to do that from the pulpit. Um, which means preaching is vital, but limited. It's a vital, but limited ministry of uh, the Word. Sermons aren't enough. We need to uh, be reading this book ourselves, individually, by ourselves, with the Lord, for the Holy Spirit to minister directly to us in areas. And we also need, at times, to have a brother or sister, a close, wise friend, or a counselor minister the Word one-on-one, directly to, with precision, the exact circumstances that we're going through. Um, And so preaching isn't trying to hit every nuance and variable of every single unique situation. Uh, Counseling or a conversation with a wise friend uh, deals more directly, and I would say is the ideal place to talk about depression, to talk about anxiety, to talk about... Uh, fear and worry and, and suicidal thoughts, and we mentioned abuse earlier this week. Those one-on-one uh, settings are the ideal place uh, to do that. So a little, a little plug here for the, uh, what uh, Pastor Kent mentioned earlier about the counseling training coming up. Uh, that is not just for formal certification for those who want to do counseling in a more formal setting. It is for that. It is a, a step in that direction. Uh, but this is for any Christian... Who wants to better handle the word of God and minister to your spouse, to your family, to friends, to those in your life? Um, I would invite you to come to that uh, because this is a, a necessary ministry in the local church. Uh, Doctor Donroy is going to help equip us uh, to better do that um, today. As I come at this uh, at this issue of depression, I want to look at this holistically. In, uh, in 1 Kings 19 and looking at three things in particular. First, the cause of depression. Second, the symptoms of depression. And then third, the treatment or cure for depression. So that's what we'll walk through. The cause of depression or causes of depression, symptoms of depression, and remedies or cures uh, for depression. Let's start with the causes of depression. Why do people get depressed? or anxious, or uh, fearful. Why emotional struggles? And, and I think the first thing I would want to say, uh, there is a sense in which it actually makes a lot of sense that people would struggle with fear, anxiety, and depression in a fallen world. Uh, what's actually amazing is that we're not always filled with a constant panic attacks, paralyzing fear, and hopeless despair. The fact that that isn't the constant experience of all of us all week long is amazing. When you think about what context in which we live in, we, we ourselves and all the rest of humanity have rebelled against God, breaking us psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually. On top of that, you have a, a third of the angels rebelled and were thrown down to make war against the saints. And so we deal with even demonic and spiritual opposition. The creation itself, it says, has been subject to futility. You could say, I I wouldn't prefer to say it this way, but it depends on what we mean by this. The creation is depressed. There's a sense in which the creation itself is groaning, it says. Listen to Romans 8. It says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subject to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for the redemption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, of our bodies, of our broken bodies that feel things like depression. And so it's amazing that we're not more depressed, more stressed, more fearful than we actually are. Jesus even said, in this world you will face what? Tribulations. Tribulations. We should be amazed when we don't always feel bad. That is the grace of, of God. And I think this is the first thing that people need to remember when we, when we think of all these emotional problems. Um, and it's usually the first thing we forget. It's usually the first thing that we, we forget. We expect to be in this uh, sort of utopian uh, paradise, Eden paradise, uh, like we're still in the garden. Um, we, we forget we're in a fallen world. We, we believe we're already in that eternal state, that we should be feeling what glorified bodies feel. No pain, no sorrow, no suffering. And that's just not our context. That's not our context. Um, I, I do want to acknowledge, I think there's there's some level of mystery to depression. Um, I'm not going to stand up here and claim that I know all the causes of depression. Um, I'm not going to stand here and say if you're depressed, it's your fault. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. There are mysteries to the causality of depression. And that's not just from a Christian perspective. Even the clinical psychologists and those who study these things, not only do they not definitively say we know the cause or causes, they don't know the cure either, admittedly. Um, there, There is some mystery to this. Uh, and even mystery to the people that it affects. So Charles Spurgeon, many of us know, suffered depression often. A great preacher in London. And he said this, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more than any others here. He said that to his congregation. Later he said, I experience depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever go to such extremes of wretchedness as I go. But then he also uh, believed that depression wasn't only for those who are immature believers. And he said, some of the very choicest of God's people travel most of the way to heaven by night. And one of those who traveled most of the way to heaven by night was a man named J.B. Phillips. He was a godly uh, Bible translator. And uh, one day he was speaking to a group of Christians and said, uh, I've spent my whole life studying this Bible. I've spent literally my whole life in the text of Scripture, and I struggle with depression. You should not be surprised if you barely are in this and you're struggling. We're all going to struggle uh, in some measure with some of these symptoms of depression. Um, some of you know uh, I myself am not very prone uh, to Uh, to getting down very easily. Uh, A downcast thought usually uh, will come into my mind like anyone, but it goes out pretty quick and I'm just kind of press on and that's the typical way that I am. Um, But there was one season in 2008 uh, to 2011 when it seemed a thousand downcast thoughts came and they wouldn't leave And I couldn't get rid of this darkness, this dark cloud that went over me for about three years. That robbed me of any joy in anything. It was utter misery for about a three year period. And I didn't know what to do. And um, I lost all desire, I, I say for everything. It was especially for spiritual things. So I would go out to pray for the day. I would go out to read the Bible for hours thinking, surely this would cure me or lighten this depression and it would make it worse. It would make it worse. But I thought, what else am I going to do but seek the Lord? But every time I sought the Lord, I, I felt I went deeper and deeper and darker and darker. And then one day, it was like the clouds parted. And it was sunny again. So three years I'm seeing everything in black and white, and then one day I see color for no un, for, I don't know why. I, nothing changed in what I was doing, uh, but the depression was gone. And, and you know, I would not trade those three years for anything. Uh, God was with me, even though it felt in that moment, He was not. Uh, and it's helped me to sympathize with those who, who struggle in this way. Um, Spurgeon, again, to quote him, he said, Fits of depression come over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise are not always ready. The brave are not always courageous. The joyous are not always happy. This is true of Elijah. Elijah whose whole life was basically spiritual highs. It was like he lived on the mountaintop spiritually. Victory to victory, miracle to miracle, until he hit this low point of depression. And what was the cause of his depression? And I've, I've been studying this, and I really believe we could say the cause of his depression was unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Depression often comes, not always, but often because of unmet expectations. This is a man, again, he's lived his life on these spiritual highs, seeing God do miraculous things in and through him and around him. Just think of a few of these right before chapter 19. The drought that he predicted and prayed for, that it would not rain for three years, and it did not rain for three years. God obeyed his voice. And then he prayed and the rains came. Uh, We know right after that, there was that showdown in Mount Carmel where Elijah was verse, it was Elijah verse uh, 450 prophets of Baal. And they had this little competition uh, where, where they both would pray and call fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal prayed and prayed and they mutilated themselves and prayed and nothing happened. And then Elijah prayed and fire came down on the sacrifice and consumed it. And, and that experience was so powerful that, uh, all the people fell on their faces and began to say, Elohim, um, Yahweh. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And they began to cry. And, and Elijah, you can imagine, he thought, this is going to begin to spread into other parts of Israel. This is the beginnings of revival. And he expected, that what happened on Mount Carmel would begin to move into the other places where Baal worship was happening, and they would begin to tear down their idolatrous idols, their paganism, and begin to worship the Lord again. That's what he expected to see. And we can understand that. He, He thought he would hear reports of revival. He thought he would see the smoke going up from these villages as they burned and tore down these pagan Places of worship in Israel, but instead, uh, no change, no repentance, nothing. And the dark night of the soul came over him. Guys, how many missionaries with such passion, such joy, we send them out? They're so eager to go, they get on the ground. Telling, ready to tell people the good news. And then people want Allah. People want Buddha. People want some false God instead. How downcast. How many missionaries have been just down because of this? You think about preachers. How many preachers labor all week to stand like this and to preach a sermon? They just pour their heart out to people. And then after the sermon's over, they walk by and they hear football and futile conversations and they get in their car and they drive off just utterly discouraged. What is the point of my ministry? Is this doing anything? You think about counselors who would spend hours and weeks and weeks with a counselee working with them to get some victory or some help and then only for that person to go back into what they've been doing before. And you how how discouraging, and guys, think about parents who labor to put the truth of God into the hearts of our children, just pouring it years, and then only to see that child depart and, and want nothing of it. How utterly discouraging Elijah, after all these miracles, expected to see lasting fruit, instead he saw. Nothing except for an exaltation of him. Look at what it says in verse 1 Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Many ministers would be happy with that. Man prays. Look what Elijah did on Mount Carmel. And Elijah's like, yeah, I did. I'm glad they know, and I'm glad they're telling everybody. This drove Elijah into deep despair it crushed him because he wasn't he knew it wasn't him this was the lord's doings and he was not to be getting credit for it he expected to see revival instead he saw his own name being exalted and he saw israel not repenting and what seemed like a good desire he wanted israel to repent he wanted god's name to be exalted that seemed like that that is a pure desire that soon turned into elijah thinking about self quickly turned into a self-focus where he forgot his God and depression worsens when someone forgets God and begins to focus on self. Look at verse 3. He was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. He asked that he might die. Saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am no better than my fathers. Church, you cannot escape sadness entering your life. Children will disappoint you. Your health will fail. There will be many things that you want to happen in your career and they will not happen. There will be many, many discouragements in life. It's unavoidable. It's absolutely unavoidable. We can understand why he's discouraged, but look what, what he does. He gets lost in his feelings. He gets lost in his feelings to the point where he says, I'm done. I'm not just done with ministry, I'm, I'm done with life. I'm done. He forgets what God has done and he chooses to follow his feelings. Those feelings lead him into a dark cave. Literally, into a dark cave. And in verse 9, God finds him in this dark cave and says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God is saying, is this how you respond? You go hide in a dark cave when you're feeling bad or going through this? This is, this is so common, isn't it? You hit a difficult time, I just need to get away. Go eat something. Go to a restaurant. Go travel. i got to escape whatever is going on. Go grab the phone and just uh, watch some sort of entertainment for hours. Others respond, I'm going to shop, I'm going to buy something new. Maybe this car will help. Maybe I'll purchase this thing and it will bring some sort of relief Others latch on to the victim status, which is, a, which is deeply rooted in a self-pity. Elijah, verse 4, look at what he says. Oh Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. You know what? That's not humility. That's self-pity. That's self-pity. Which is often connected to Isolation. Verse 3 says, he left his servant. Verse 5 says, he laid down and slept under a broom tree. So his downward spiral into depression started with forgetting God, which leads to hopelessness, which drives someone deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into discouragement, self-pity, and isolation. Um... I heard a few years ago a man uh, was telling me about he was I guess he was living with his pastor at the time who was planting a church, and um, and it wasn't going well. It was very difficult as church plants often are, uh, and this pastor apparently would go into his room and just stay there all day, and he would say, "My pastor, would go in there, shut the door, and he wouldn't come out." And um, I'm sure this pastor was going through something really difficult, but that's not the way to handle it. However bad it was, he made it ten times worse by self-pity and isolation. This does not help. This is not the way to handle it, but this is what Elijah does. In verse 9, God says to Elijah as Elijah is having this pity party isolated in a dark cave, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Let me pause for a second because um, I want to talk about symptoms. How do you know if you're depressed? H- how do you know if you're depressed? Um, I believe Elijah was clinically depressed, and I use that word clinically, purposefully. Um, I do have a copy of the DSM 5, I've read it, reread it this morning, uh, thinking about Elijah's life. Uh, The DSM-5, for those of you who are wondering, it's the manual for counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, many other medical professionals on how they diagnose these emotional disorders. Um, And I would say he fits the criteria for uh, a mood disorder or clinical depression, even severe case of clinical depression. Um, I think that you could also put Job in that category. I think it would be uh, right to put David in that category at a point in his life, and maybe possibly Hagar, you could possibly say Peter and Judas with the guilt and discouragement that came uh, near the crucifixion of Christ. But Elijah checks almost all these diagnostic boxes for someone who's clinically depressed. And so that's why he's our, our case study and here's a few things that he, he was experiencing. A deep sadness and sorrow that drives one into isolation and wanting to sleep all the time. Wanting to sleep all the time. But notice that description at the beginning, sadness or sorrow. Uh, we need to be careful with that, right? We need to be careful with that type of description. Uh, one book I was reading this week from a medical doctor, uh, writes a lot on bipolar and uh, depression, he talked about the problem of calling depression a disease and then, and then defining the disease as general sadness. Because now, if general sadness is a disease, we have an epidemic on our hands. When we begin to mess with and broaden massively uh, certain terms uh, it may seem that certain problems are more prevalent than they actually are. Uh, numerous books—I could. Uh, there's a lot of books been written in the last twenty years, not even by Christians, who are identifying this issue um, on how we diagnose depression. One book by Alan Hortzwitz, uh is called "Creating an Age of Depression: The Social Construction and Consequences of the Major Depression Diagnosis," and the author. Uh, concludes what many others have, quote, the rapid increase in the rate of depression is better explained by the changes in the criteria used to make the diagnosis rather than the increased prevalence of a disease. Now, do with that what you want. Um, I'm just pointing out uh, what, what many are saying about the diagnosis. Uh, here's another symptom. Loss of passion for things you once loved. Elijah's experiencing this. Uh, I was talking to somebody, not in our church, but somebody else outside of the church a few weeks ago, and they said, I've lost passion for all the things that I once loved. That's a classic sign of depression. Classic symptom of depression. Someone describes uh, depression like this. You can't differentiate between hugging your spouse and bumping into a, a stranger in the subway. It feels the same. Things that once brought you joy, like certain food, certain music, uh, now feels like fingernails on a chalkboard. Elijah uh, didn't just lose passion for ministry, he lost passion for life. He lost a desire to live, which is another symptom. Look at verse four. Elijah asked that he might die, saying, "It's enough now, Lord. O oh, Lord, take away my life." That is deep despair. David Foster Wallace, uh, some of you may recognize the name. He was a, a famous secular novelist. Tragically ended his life in depre- uh, with depression, with suicide. And listen to how he described the mindset of a, someone who's contemplating suicide. A suicidal person is like someone trapped on the top of a floor of a burning skyscraper. Jumping out the window is terrifying, but staying in the burning building is getting harder and harder. Uh, Many describe depression with hellish terms like misery, despair, hopelessness, darkness, agony of soul, painful loneliness. Those are hellish descriptions. And Elijah knew these type thoughts when he was in this cave. So he's in that dark cave, but before the cave, he was under what? A broom tree. It says in verse 5, he was sleeping under a broom tree. That's when he began to give in to these hopeless thoughts. That's when he began to believe certain lies. Some of you here know what it's like to sleep under the broom tree and begin to let certain thoughts in your mind that if you leave them long enough and you let them go places, you'll be just like Elijah. And maybe you have been, even contemplating ending your life. So what do we do? What are the treatments and cures for depression? And um, please hear me right here at the beginning. When I say treatments and cures, I don't mean three easy steps and you're fixed. The Bible doesn't give that type of cure or treatment, but I do think what, what 1 Corinthians 19 says is very helpful. There's two categories we're going to work in, physical and Spiritual. Okay, and I, and I understand that this passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. Which means we don't just copy identically exactly what God does for Elijah and think we're going to come out with the exact same result or something. This is a description of what happened in his life. But I do think uh, that there are some principles and categories that might help us through depression. Look at verse 5. He lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel of an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked and behold, there was uh, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Interesting. That's what a depressed person does. Eat, drink, lay back down again. The angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now look, before before I say what I'm about to say, and you dismiss me, understand you're dismissing many of the Puritans, most of the Puritans that I read on this passage and how they understood melancholy, which is the old word for depression. When they would say to their people from a passage like this or others like this, You need, for melancholy, physical and spiritual nourishment. There's physical and spiritual cures, you could say, uh, to depression. And who of us here would would deny the physical one, right? Nobody's denying that there aren't physical things that can help with depression. I think we would all admit this. A good doctor, uh, if you go see them, uh, before they give you medication for depression, what are they going to say to you? You getting any fresh air? Getting any sunlight? Getting any exercise? What you're eating like? What you're drinking like? How about sleep? You, you sleeping at all? They're going to ask you all these questions. Why? Because physical things could have very much affect your emotional state. Um, this w- is not a new discovery. Charles Spurgeon again said on depression: "A day's breathing of fresh air upon the hills, a few hours of rambling in the beech woods." Uh, would sweep away the cobwebs out of the brain of scores of our toiling ministers who are now but half alive. A mouthful of sea air or a stiff walk in the wind's face, if not giving if not giving grace to the soul, would yield oxygen to the body, which is the next best thing. <laughs> I love how Spurgeon uses his words. Um, I think this would include medication. At times. Um, Not against medication, but I will say on the issue of depression, for every one person who tells me their antidepressant works, I hear five others tell me it doesn't. Now, again, I'm not not a doctor here. This is no medical advice. But I'm just saying uh, what many have said. I don't think even many doctors have great confidence in antidepressant success rate. Um, In 2010, the first of a few major studies was done by the Journal of American Medical Association, comparing antidepressants to a placebo. And uh, they couldn't find a difference in moderate or mild cases. It was impossible to really distinguish any difference. On severe cases, 80% of the cases, the placebo had the same effect as the antidepressant. And similar studies have been done with similar results over the years, uh, which doesn't mean medication is never an option. It just means it's not as helpful as many might think it is. Because this isn't a disease for everybody. It isn't a hereditary issue. It isn't biological for many people. It's sadness. Or it's spiritually caused with guilt or other things. And medicating it won't fix it. Because it isn't that type of issue. Um, Now look again at verse 5. An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was... At his head, a cake baked in a jar of water, and he ate and drank. I know somebody here has got to be thinking, Pastor, that's physical food. If you go anywhere else with this, you're getting away. That He's eating actual food. And he is eating actual food. But what do you do with the manna that God sent from heaven to Israel? Was that physical food? Yes, it was. But what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10? He says, our fathers were under the rock, and all of them ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, for most of them, God was not pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, why would Paul uh, be playing loose with spiritual and physical food and calling the spiritual food Christ? I think he would do that because Jesus did this. John 6, Jesus said, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. Obviously meaning himself. Jesus multiplies fish and bread to 4,000 people. What are we supposed to learn from that? That he just makes a small meal a bigger, feeds the stomach? Was there a, a, a bigger meaning to this, a spiritual meaning in the physical eating? Uh, the bread and the wine, the Lord's Supper. This is my body. Take, this is my blood. Is it, it's, it's actual bread and, and drink, but certainly something more is implied there as we take it in by faith. David describes his depression with spiritual hunger. Listen to Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to to me continually, where is your God? So he doesn't know how to describe his uh, depression except to use food and drink language. To say I'm empty, I'm hungry. Um... One of my uh one of my kids, my youngest asked me uh, earlier this week, uh, they asked me what I was preaching on when I told them the topic. Um he said, uh, have you ever been depressed, dad? I was like, yeah, I have. And he said, "Why?" And um I said it felt like God was very far away. And then I said, but he wasn't And I realized that later, but it felt like that. It felt like that. God doesn't rebuke Elijah's depression. He draws near and he actually summons him and he says, "Arise and eat." I I hope whoever is depressed here might hear that command and summons from the Lord. Arise and eat. Because the depressed person doesn't want to do either of those things. They don't want to arise, and they don't want to eat. They want to go back and sleep again. And if they do arise and eat, they want to go back to the bed. They want to go back to escape mode. Verse 6, he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time. Do you see the mercy of God in this? This is, the, this is a theophany, by the way. This is the second person of the Trinity as the angel of the Lord showing up to him a second time as he lays back down and gives him food again and says, Arise and eat. Depressed brother, here, arise. Hear the Lord say to you, It's time to arise. Depressed sister, hear the Lord say to you, Eat. Get in the word. Stop running from the nourishment that your soul desperately needs and eat. Many people say, well, I've tried to eat. I'm here. I got out of bed. I've come to church. I'm here. And, um, and I, would, I would say this. Uh, that's good, but, but coming to church is leaving is walking from out under the broom tree. It's, it's even walking up and looking at the food, but you must, you must actually take the food and receive it. You actually must eat it, which in Christian terminology and Jesus would say, uh, it must be received by faith. You must ingest the word by faith. You must believe the Lord in order to eat what he's providing you. So the church isn't the food. The church is where you find the food. Your morning devotion isn't the food. It's where you find the food. What is the food? Christ. You receive Christ. Christ said, I am the bread. It says in Isaiah 59, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food and incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. What brings Elijah finally out of this depression? His soul begins to live again because he begins to find hope in God again. That's what the psalmist is praying in his depression. He he begins to actually preach to his soul. Soul, hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David fought depression by preaching to his soul to hope in God until he did hope in God. Hagar, despaired of life, until God visited her in her affliction and she then called God the God who sees. Job's depression was real and not short. But eventually the clouds parted for him too. And guys, depression is a very, very lonely experience. But everything changes when you realize I'm not really alone. God is with me. God is with me. I'm always going to be thankful to Jay Adams uh, for the counsel he gave me through a little booklet that I read in 2008 um, on depression. And he said this at one point, do whatever it is that God wants you to do regardless of whether you feel like it. Do not forget your obligations. That's the same advice God gave Elijah. He doesn't baby Elijah and say, Oh, Elijah, I know it's been hard. I've given you a hard lot. You can just lay and do nothing. It doesn't matter to me. That's not what he says to Elijah. He listens to Elijah's pity party and then he touches Elijah and says, Arise and eat. And then in verse 15, it says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Heziel, the king over over Syria, and anoint Jehu to be king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to be prophet in your place. God said there's work to do. Get up. Get up. Press on. And you know what? I don't, I don't know. We, we really don't know. Did Elijah actually have all those feelings of depression gone whenever he got up to do what God told him to do? Or were all those feelings still there? And you know what? It doesn't matter. Because he obeyed the command of his God. Which is more important than following your feelings. That are telling you to keep laying there and not obey your God. He obeyed the Lord, which is a mature way to handle Depression, when it feels like you can't do anything, you go, no, I fear the Lord. I love the Lord. I trust the Lord. I want to obey the Lord whether I feel like it or not because He is worthy. And because one day I will feel like it again. And and guys, I know some of you think that this is insensitive for me to say these things to someone who's struggling in this condition. And here's here's the passage I would put before you. Not uh, something I said or say to you, but something that the Apostle Paul said who experienced way more suffering than I would dare say any of us have experienced. And he said in 2 Corinthians 4.9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. I wouldn't say that to you. Paul does. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Um, Guys, at the end of the day, this side of heaven, there will be many things that we don't enjoy, that we want to enjoy. There will be unfulfilled desires this side of glory. Uh, We are pilgrims passing through a fallen world and we don't expect to always feel right. Uh, Did our Lord not say blessed are those who what? Mourn. For they shall be comforted. That comfort is coming sooner or later for you. But it may not be your constant experience here. Um, I said to my uh, children at the breakfast table earlier this week, we're reading through Matthew 25, and um, I want to say this to you now, church. Uh, It was where Christ said to those who were faithful to push through difficult days, He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. And I said to my children what I'll say to you. You don't exist to find happiness. You don't exist to feel good. You exist to exalt the King of Kings. You, exalt, you exist to live for His glory. And not your comfort. Temporary, fleeting comforts. Uh, we've been given a calling And we will, if we remain faithful, enter into, fully enter into the joy of our Master. Elijah wanted to die under the broom tree of sorrow and many others want to do that as well. But you need not do that. Because Christ, not under, but on a tree, died for your sins and your sorrows. Christ on His tree of sorrows died so that you wouldn't have to die under yours. He died on His tree of sorrows, removed from God in utter darkness so you would not have to be. That's what this table is about. That we're going to take. Our weekly coming out from under the broom tree. Our weekly coming out from under the trees of sorrow and self-pity that we put ourselves in the shade of all week long. This is your chance to come out from under that. And eat. Arise. Arise. Remember, remember what the Lord said, you will eat this meal again with me. Where? In my kingdom. What kingdom? A kingdom with no sorrow. A kingdom with no grief and no tears and no death. This is a preparatory meal to remind us of where we're going. And that we aren't always in these bodies and we aren't always in this fallen context. We eat in hope in hope of what Christ has accomplished for us. And I would I would really say that um, I think this table is actually more for those who struggle under the broom trees all week than those of you who have just gone from joy to joy all week long. I, I would actually say that it's more for those of you who've sat in the, in the shade of your uh, sorrowful tree than those who just Enjoyed the sunlight all week long. If you uh, find deep satisfaction in the Lord, if you find deep satisfaction in His calling on your life, in your family, in your work, in your financial state, in your health, you should come to the table and you should thank God for that. But if you don't feel those things, and there's a general apathy... And there's a sadness that just kind of lingers over you. You come here and you remember that's not my eternal state. It's not my eternal state. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Father, Lord, we don't find comfort in our feelings. They often betray us. They lie. So often. Our feelings actually work along with the lies of the enemy. And He tells us we're condemned because we feel condemned. It makes it worse. He tells us you're miserable and worthless and we feel that way, so it makes it worse. And so Lord, we pray that we would hear the voice of truth today telling us to arise and eat calling us to continue to serve You and the work You've given us to do because You're preparing a kingdom for us where all these sorrows will go away. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, Lord, help us to remember all of what Christ accomplished and all of the eternal ramifications. Lord, help us to take comfort in these things to go out in Your strength. Lord, we won't be able to do the journey without the food. And so Lord, fill us and strengthen us for the journey ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.